Hi, this is Mark Lee. This is Jeremy. And this is Peter. And you're listening to the Low Profile Podcast. And what you're hearing right now is Larry Norman. So, uh, yeah, that's Larry Norman, 1976, from his album In Another Land. Rockin'. And uh, who was this guy? Right? <laughs> yeah, I, I certainly didn't know the first time I heard him. I didn't know anything about him. What drew you to his music? Um, I sort of got a... I used to when I had a job that I made a lot more money, I was a little bit more free and just, you know, buying records, just checking them out. And uh, Rainy Day, our store in town, got a copy, I don't remember what label put it, but some independent label did an anthology of him that was called Rebel Poet Jukebox Balladeer, I think. Yeah, that's, Do you that's have that what it's one? called. Uh, I used to. Yeah. Yeah. And I just checked it out in the... I used to just listen to a lot of the new things they would get in the store, even if there were reissues like that. And I just remember listening to it in the listening station, and uh, the first song that really got me of his was um, I've Got to Learn to Live Without You. Right. Yeah, Which is on Only Visiting This Planet. Yeah, that's a nice little ballad. And then I, I bought... So I bought that anthology and that is what turned me on to him and it really has like the majority of his great songs i think are on that double album like they did a pretty good job of picking of picking the songs to include so it's like a best of yeah i think it was made after he died when did he die he died um in let's say it was 2008 yeah i think it was maybe done around that time yeah, I, I bought that the first time I saw it. Um, I didn't even know it was coming, but I had been looking for his album. You came into yeah. my um, life. You took me off the shelf. You told my name to me and taught me what to do. And this, but then you went this is one of the albums that had some of the like wrecking crew people on it. Yeah, I think so. Or maybe they were on the Capitol one, the Upon This Rock or whatever. I don't know. I haven't, I don't know this part. Why'd you go? Yeah, see, this is gonna be this is gonna be the tough thing in the podcast because those songs are so beautiful. It's like yeah. when they start, I don't, I don't want to. I just want to shut up and listen to them. Yeah, exactly. Well, <laughs> we haven't even touched on it, but so Larry Norman is kind of like the sort of founder of Christian rock, 
um, a lot of people he's, would say he's like yeah. he's like the original badass of Christian rock for right. sure. He gets the, he has that reputation. It's the the father of Christian rock according to Wikipedia, I believe. Okay. And that's probably a good time. I mean, talking about how he is the founder of Christian rock and all of you know the majority of his music are is you know deals with Christian oriented themes. Um there's no really way to escape talking about whether you believe in that or not and i certainly do not i've never been i've never believed in the old or new testament i've never been a christian i'm completely agnostic and that's probably never going to change but that never stood in the way of me it almost made it more impressive to me that he could have songs that move me so in such a significant way on subject matter that I oftentimes think is ridiculous or just that I don't believe in for and a, the greatest example of that is I wish we'd all been ready which is about the rapture yeah I think is absurd <laughs> <laughs> you but, but uh but I, that's a great song though I mean you can still you can still appreciate it even if you don't uh is, yeah you know and the rapture was kind of a new idea back then too like that whole like concept sort of became popular in like I think in like the 1950s uh -huh. and um, all of a sudden it became like universal doctrine yeah um, a lot of I, I know I so I grew up uh, in the church and uh -huh. heard Larry Norman growing up um, and never really felt one way or the other about it I mean to me it was like you know the version of cl classic rock that would well, play do in you our remember house. any of the songs you heard? Like the particular well, we songs? had we had in another land, um, like the rock that doesn't roll. Yeah, you know, right. like some of the rowdy stuff we had. Uh, we had so long ago in the garden. I don't think we had this only visiting this planet, which yeah. is like his the sort of attempt one, at making a secular album. Really. So, I thought that maybe that oh wait was... no that's so long ago in the garden oh yeah who I mean I this album too though I mean like that last song we heard if you know going into it that he's like mostly sings about Jesus and everything yeah um, you're gonna think that that song is about the Lord at first because um, of his sentiment wait, which song I've what? got to learn to live without oh, you oh yeah right uh -huh. and then it, with the when he comes in with why'd you go baby well he's not gonna call jesus baby yeah so, you right know, it's like a little curveball for you <laughs> i also remember reading that um for that particular song i think it might be a liner note in that anthology where he says that that was planned to be the lead single single from only visiting this planet and right before that happened nilsen put out without you oh and so they decided not to have compete with that song with I've got to learn to live without you. And they don't sound that similar, but they're both sort of mid-tempo piano, you know, ballads, I guess. Sure, sure. Um, but, I mean, but they came out with, you know, A Bug's Life and Ants, like, the same <laughs> summer. <laughs> it was a different time. Yeah. He didn't um, want to put out his deep impact to uh, Nilsson's uh, Armageddon there. Right, yeah. What about you, Jeremy? You have particular t tunes that you... Uh, 
Well, I I um I had never heard of Larry Norman till Mark told me about uh, this podcast, mm-hmm. and uh, was, we watched a, uh, a documentary which was pretty interesting. But uh, and I, so I really only know the first three albums. Um, I thought it was pretty interesting because it's like you know you hear he's the father of uh, Christian rock, but it's like I feel like they upon this rock is like every song is pretty Christian. That's yeah. But then it's like like you're saying like only. Only visiting this planet, it's like some are, but some aren't. And then stolen in the go in the garden, I feel like. Well, sometimes I think I wouldn't that, even know. Sometimes I think there's some gray areas there, because like my, fa- I think my favorite song of his ever is "Pardon Me" on "Only Visiting This Planet." That uh, the, that is just such a beautiful melody, and that I feel like that song is on par. Uh, craft-wise with like a Brian Wilson or something like that like that level of of you know melodic skill and I I always uh interpreted that as sort of a veiled kind of like um abstinence before marriage kind of sermon with pardon me because it's all about you know like how miserable it's going to make you feel if you sleep around or whatever yeah, no, it's or a like heavy the song. Bed hopping sort of culture. It's sort of like a critique of that. So, in the, even in that sense, like you could say maybe that is or isn't a Christian song, but it definitely is. As putting, the, yeah, it's putting forth a, a part of his belief system, definitely. Well, I think the thing that um, makes him more interesting to people who aren't religious um, is that. He's, he also calls out church culture, like you know, he he never um, he never told anyone like what church he went to or whether he went to church. They're like, yeah. that's mm-hmm. why why do you what does that matter? What do you care? Right. Like everybody's the church. That, that and even be. just being the as you said the for, sort of forefather of Christian rock, which would have been a different completely different atmosphere at that point when there hadn't really been Christian rock. I'm sure that a, you know, a lot of what angered so many people about him was that he was messing around with rock and roll at all. Exactly, yeah. You know, but like why would you do that? Just stay away from the devil's, devil's music. music. Yeah. So when I was like probably like thirteen, fourteen, had a youth pastor, right? So he, he tells me that uh, when he was a kid, like when Larry Norman was just coming out, um you couldn't get it at the regular record stores because it was too religious. And you couldn't get it at, like, the Bible store because it was too rowdy. Because it was it a was, rock record. Yeah, yeah. It, because it was a rock record. He said, like, you could go to some Bible stores. You'd walk up. You'd be like, hey, you got me, Larry? <laughs> yeah. And they'd, like, slip it, like, in a paper bag. <laughs> yeah. That's that's. What he told me. <laughs> I could also see the other thing that I could see, at least at that time, maybe angering some people, is that his music is so clearly influenced by secular artists, particularly like I think uh, John Lennon and Bob Dylan, mm-hmm. right, and maybe to some degree Brian Wilson, Paul Simon, maybe people like that. But but Even Todd Rundgren sometimes, or maybe Todd Rundgren. Yeah. Um, so obviously he was listening to like the Beatles, and and that was a big you know. Didn't George Martin work on Only Visiting This Planet? I thought he had some involved. Like, maybe he, he arranged some of the strings on it or something. 
That sounds right. I thought that maybe even he had some involvement in it. But, um, yeah. Yeah. He oh, so worked I, with a lot of people. So with you, you were growing up listening to it. Was there, like, are your parents cool with, like, him being the bad boy? Like, was... Yeah, you know, um, yeah, because, you know, I'm born in 81. Um, by then, he was, I mean, he was still, like, pretty, um, really out front and, like, yeah, like, kind of, like, finger-pointing at the church where most of Christian rock, it was, like, singing to church people, if, you know, to generalize um but like that how happy they are and everything's okay because i've got the lord and like it's gonna be a beautiful day like really like or if it's a if it's a if they sing about like maybe you're having a bad day but it'll be better because god is good like you know like they it's it never like was like hey feed the poor more or like you know that's what larry was about was like you say you're following jesus well jesus did all this radical shit and none of you are like or you know some plenty plenty (laughs) of them are doing cool stuff you know for their community in the world but a lot of people just it's just a routine yeah and it's not you know i even in saying that you know identifying as being agnostic or whatever i'm not trying to discredit in any way some of the elements of what uh christian organization the positive influence that christian organizations can have on some communities i i do do genuinely believe that that is true at times so you could you know i just don't swallow the whole bag (laughs) i guess and it's kind of, it seems like Larry didn't either, really, right? Like, yeah, but he swallowed more of it than I, I would. <laughs> oh, our, our engineer, Miles, just uh, informed me that, yes, George Martin did, in fact, work with Larry Norman. So What did he do? He didn't produce it, I don't think. Um, so it says here, um, in Air Studios, when Larry Norman started recording that album... Uh, see what did he say he recorded at george martin's studio and he used players from king crimson and average white band right john wetton the bass player yeah yeah the first day they recorded there there was a bomb scare and they all had to evacuate the building i think he writes about that in the liner notes to the record or something yeah those are range in themselves too have you ever read those like the the long list of liner notes he has in all three of those albums i think you know i i have to be honest i've never read through all the liner yeah. notes on well those. I, yeah i think i maybe i skimmed them maybe i was uh-huh. looking at one today when i was pre- this morning i listened to a bunch of his records to sort of prepare for this what was the tone on him like is it kind of like optimistic or is it more uh uh, it'll, I think a lot accusatory. of Accusatory? Uh, a lot of what he says can sometimes be accusatory. It seemed, my, uh, recollection is that it's a lot of just current events of the time. You know, he had, he repeatedly was, uh, was so, had so much criticism of, uh, the man walking on the moon. Yeah. That's really? a recurring theme. Yeah, of said, how much money they spent to send a man to the moon. Yeah, he's, been, you know, 
You say we beat the Russians to the moon. I say you starved our children to do it. Yeah, right, exactly. You know, so he said... That's a great song, too. That that should be in... We should just hear some of that. That's called... um, Let's see. The Great American Novel. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's a really good one. Yeah, so Larry talked a lot about like when he was giving interviews and people were like, What's, "What are you doing? Like all this radical stuff." And he's like, "Christianity in its truest form is just radical activism." I could see that. That's or I could see someone thinking that. <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. It's not what it looks like, but Here's the great American novel. I was born and raised an orphan In a land that once was free In a land that poured its love out on the moon And I grew up in the shadows Of your silos filled with grain but you never help to fill my empty spoon And when I was ten you murdered law with courtroom politics And you learned to make a lie sound just like truth But I know you better now And I don't fall for all your tricks And you've lost the one advantage of my youth You kill a black man at midnight Just for talking to your daughter Then you make his wife your mistress and you leave her without water. This guy is and really fucked up. You wear up on your <laughs> this guy is singing too. <laughs> the sheet your but to hear something like that coming out of a Christian rock song, especially at that time, must have never happened before. Yeah. And your money says in God we trust, but it's against the law to pray in school. You say we beat the Russians to the moon And I say you starve your children to do it You are far across the ocean It's weird that he puts the listener in that position, too. It's true, it's yeah. Like, I did all this stuff. I starved my kids. Uh-huh. Beat the Russians. Yeah, you know, one other thing that um, I was so... Uh, kind of intoxicated by his rec- his early records when I first heard them and the, you know those had, were all done in the early to mid 70s and so I figured that like oh he must have this enormous body of great work that goes all the way up until he died and then you listen to some of the later stuff and he really doesn't have you ever heard some of like the 80s records They're, those were never really, big in my household really awful I remember checking him out in the 90s when I heard, like, they came out with a Larry Norman tribute album at some point in, like, the mid-90s. Um, and it was just all, like, you know, popular Christian bands of the day. Right. Um, 
and I liked a couple of the grunge bands on there. So I, I dug those versions. I think it was Holy Soldier covered Why Don't You Look Into Jesus. And it was a very, it's very Pearl Jammy, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, that's hard to imagine. But I, I so was they, like, they oh, and he's still around. Kind of and he like had this like kind of weird like techno album. And I was like, yes, I cannot listen the, to this. Well, I remember reading like he was aware or something that his songwriting had really gone downhill. And he was something to do with an airplane accident? Yeah, so um, he was on a flight um, on tour. And um, in, in like the, I think, he, I think it was like 84 or something like that. And um, he got hit in the head by a suitcase, like fell on him or something. He, he, he got brain damage is what he said. And then other people that were with him at the time said, that's not really true. It wasn't even that big a deal. Yeah, but he was always very open about, I have brain damage now. I can't make good records like I used to. I can't produce, I can't mix. Yeah, I heard a late, I think it was late 80s, maybe early 90s song from one of his records then that was called uh, Woman of God. I've heard of that, yeah. And it was, it's a terrible song. It's completely sexist beyond belief. And it sounds terrible. Like the production is like god awful too. Maybe we shouldn't be using the word god awful in this, <laughs> in this podcast. But I just it just was like like wow, how could someone who wrote so, did such great work like fall so far in their technique or you know? Yeah, maybe there's something to that brain damage thing. I don't know. Or he just became he just more of a curmudgeon, of or something. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that happens. A long dry spell. Yeah. Um, the last one of his that I thought was sort of decent is that uh, something new under the sun. S O N. Yeah. No, that, that has good some song. good, like some good pop tunes on yeah. it. Doesn't that one have um, "Sweet Song of Salvation"? That or, maybe that's on a bunch of them. That's yeah. On of his, that's on some of his like uh, indie like his self-released sort of demo records from the early 70s. I No, I was listening to that one recently um, just to like dig in. And uh, I really, I was really enjoying it. It had some really catchy tunes on it. Um, I like the wordplay with the sun, the S-O-N. Oh, yeah, yeah. you got to do that. That also says Watch What You're Doing is on that record. Yeah, the, the titles are pretty bleak on Which this one. <laughs> it's like, okay, here we go. Hard luck, bad news. That's the first song. The next one's feeling so bad. Track three, I feel like dying. <laughs> <laughs> this, the, the, born to be unlucky. Watch what you're doing. Watch what you're doing. Watch yeah. what you're doing is another like abstinence preaching kind of. Totally, center. that's another. He's like just yeah. talking about all the different STDs you can get. Right. Yeah. Or, yeah. <laughs> and of course, he ended up. He had like a secret love child, right? You know. Yeah, um, is that? Do we know if that is that legitimate or not? According to the biography that came out recently. Um, Larry did um, acknowledge on his deathbed um, that 
somewhere there was um he's like and they they say that there's a little boy in australia somewhere right and who was interviewed yeah. in that documentary i believe right yeah. right yeah um but also um there's like i think this is probably in the documentary too that there were like um letters back and forth about arranging for him to come to the states uh-huh. and like um do like a blood test but then he never, never did it they, he never did it he just like fell out of touch with them so but he admitted on his deathbed that it was his kid he said on his deathbed that um i have a son named uh i forget what his son's name was but he's like and they and also they say that there's one in australia but so he but was, he, he didn't claim he didn't claim it on his um like will or anything yeah so yeah i mean that's the other thing is that maybe to someone who who followed him um i wouldn't say religiously because there's there's so many many things that i feel like are not appropriate for me to say in this no (laughs) you someone who who, you've got to be you who followed him as a christian i wonder what the reaction would be because to me like all sorts of rock musicians are screwed up. Yeah. And so have, it's like if he had a baby out of wedlock, well, you know, maybe that's unfortunate for them. But if you're a fan of Led Zeppelin or something, that's like <laughs> not really not a big deal. You know, that's not hard to forgive. Whereas right. like maybe someone that was coming from his more Jesus people kind of, you know. Right. The the fan base is like really keeping tabs on you. So there was a lot of like gossip articles about Larry, Mm -hmm. like just like within like the Christian music industry and really just like the, the church in general has its own like version of mainstream media. Oh, we got a, we got a guest just a second. Let's see who this is. Come on in. Oh, all right. You're doing a podcast. Yeah. I don't know. I never really listened to Larry Norman, so I don't have much to add here. I was gonna see if uh, Miles had a paper. And I was gonna eat my lunch over here too. I read the paper this morning. It's no good. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Hard luck and bad news. I've been having some hard times all my life. I hope things change pretty soon. Hard luck and bad news has followed me from town to town all my life. My luck's been down. I'm getting so weary. I don't have one. heavy <laughs> what is that from this is from uh i, I want to say 84 oh. yeah right right around the time of the 
the yeah, airplane I incident. Yeah, I don't listen to that one, that album as much. I have a copy of it at home, but um, yeah, you know, it's like a, it's it's got. I like the production on it, especially. Um, it and it it goes from bleak to like you know um, redemption eventually. Right. You know, then it gets into like put your life into his hands. Oh yeah, nightmare ninety seven, and then. My favorite, let that tape keep rolling. Actually, I don't remember I, that. No, I I can't stand that one. It's oh okay. It's a. Uh, it's. I thought. Are you? You're not talking about a song for a small circle of friends. Oh, there's that one too. Which also mentions Clapton. And he, he mentions like a super band. Right. Yeah. In heaven. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> even though none of those people are to even dead now. <laughs> To this day. Yeah, it's like Charlie Watts, Clapton, and McCartney. Yeah, yeah. Larry's just up there right now. Just like waiting. He's, yeah. he's got his guitar plugged in, and he's just, like, looking at his watch. <laughs> there Come also, on. did you want to... I'm not a very good person to talk to about this, because I never really listened to him that much, but did you want to mention, you know, the Randy Stonehill connection? And yeah, any so... Of other, any of the other artists that he sort of... Yeah, so he he had his own record label, um, and he kind of was scouting for talent, and he really enjoyed this guy named Larry Norman, who he, he saw like busking. Randy Stonehill. I mean, yeah, no, he he really liked himself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, oh, yeah no, okay, sure. so yeah, he sees Randy Stonehill, um, and befriends him, and they start like kind of jamming together and stuff, and. Uh, and he converts him, right? He, yeah, he claimed responsibility for converting him. Randy said, "Larry led me to the Lord." In his kitchen. In his kitchen. How how could he do this to me? Uh, that's about some other stuff. Yeah. They the, they had a falling out. He still is publishing, or didn't give it back, or something. Yeah, he held on. To, Larry was like kind of a um, control freak about running his label. Like he would, he would happily pay for everything, um, but if but it belonged he, to him, it then. belonged to him, and that he, you know, if if you tried to move away from him, he would just hold on to your publishing and uh, retain it. And so he he uh, held up this album by um, a band called Daniel Amos, um, which for the uninitiated, that's. The order of two books in the Old Testament. Oh, that's what that is. That yeah, yeah. Was a guy named Daniel Amos. No, it's a it's a group. So they started out kind of like in in the vein of like Flying Burrito Brothers, and the Eagles, and like that kind of like West Coast like pop country kind of feel, and they uh, decided that they were going to break into the mainstream. Um, and do like a, uh, you know, have, have, they were trying to get on secular radio, like non-Christian pop radio. Um, so they changed their style and they made like a, a hard rock kind of record under the guise of, or under under the guidance of Larry. And uh, this is this is a little bit of the album that uh, he was trying to release for them. Horrendous Disc, which is a terrific title. <laughs> and uh, 
Larry kept people waiting for this horrendous disc for <laughs> like, I think about five years. They were touring, but they didn't have anything new to sell. And uh, this is what they were going for. Really feeling that. Vocals really reminded me of this guy. This is like, yeah, Larry Norman's pet project. No, this, this is El Mudo. That's another story that I'd like to research a little bit unfortunately i don't know anything much about it it's a real low profile yeah i've heard a story about it but this isn't the time or place for it <laughs> all right i'll tell it anyway so he's <laughs> yeah, let's hear it. el mudo is in the studio about to record his new dance hit and uh, the producer gets all the gear set up he's like and he puts uh the the singer puts his headphones on and he's like okay uh, we're just checking the mics. You don't have to just just say whatever j gibberish. Who cares? Um, but we're just checking the levels. And so he goes, <laughs> engineers recording it, and then he's like, "All right, we got it." <laughs> <laughs> and that, that's a that's hit. the take. <laughs> and I think that's what Larry did with that Daniel Amos track, uh, the horrendous disc, which was that was the uh, the titular track of that album. Um, Randy Randy Stonehill. Back to that. Uh, so yeah, he's just a young musician and uh, really looked up to Larry because um, you know he's like he's got he's basically got like disciples, right? And he's like, and he's he's just like a cool guy, chill guy. He he never he never like uh, did a lot of pressuring about like you know witnessing to him. He was very casual about that, and he's like, oh. And then one night, yeah, in the kitchen, he's just like, oh, you you ready to be saved? No. Okay. Uh, how about now? No. What, what, what are you doing? All right. Sorry. Okay. But what about now? <laughs> <laughs> and then, yeah, eventually Randy just, he's like, okay, all right, I'll do it. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, and then he got a record deal and, uh, his, and he's his, one of the ones that raises the most grievances on him in that documentary. Stonehill does. I'm sorry, what were you going to say? Oh, I know. I was going to say, so he didn't start as a Christian artist, mm -hmm. Randy Stonehill? Randy Stonehill. I thought that was, didn't he try to, uh, 
he sort of hooked up with Larry because he wanted a foot into the music business. Right. And then Larry sort of said, like, well, I, I can help you with that, but there's, I want to I help you with something else, too. There's a catch. And, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I um, want your soul. Yeah. But yeah, I I don't know. I So growing up, I really liked Randy Stonehill's music. I still do. I got I got a handful of his albums, and I think I, I was telling you al- already, but I think between like these four albums, I could put together like one really one solid, solid one. Yeah, if you ever do that, you should make me a copy. I will. You know, I promise you. I would be. I'll do I that. would. Yeah, because I never really got into Stonehill, but I would check it out again. You know, I would listen to it again. Everybody here gets a. It's gonna be a round of Stonehill tapes. That's, that right. would. I would genuinely listen to that several times. Yeah. So they they came out initially like the they were like oh the, it's like the new Lennon and McCartney duo of Christian rock because they were um, playing and singing on each other's stuff. Yeah. They were they toured together a little bit. Yeah. Where they would just kind of share a set. And didn't they after the, all those years of not speaking to each other or having a falling out didn't they sort of reunite on stage sort of toward the end of right toward the very end of larry's life yeah um that's another thing that we we were talking about earlier before the before you started rolling here was all those that because he had that record label in the 70s that put out um in another land and Randy Stonehill's yeah, solid, rock. solid Rock Records. Which they had a great logo. Yeah, it is a good logo. Is it just a mouth with three crosses in it or something? <laughs> yeah, it's an open mouth. Yeah. Like teeth, tongue, tonsils, and then, yeah, three, yeah, crosses, three crosses in the back. Yeah. Yeah, very... Uh, in the 80s, he had a... I guess more. it's more like a reissue label for his own music called Fido. Mm-hmm. P-H-Y-D-A-U-X. Yeah. And they've they've seemed to put out at least like ten records or something. There's a lot of them. And a bootlegs they call them. Yeah, some of them are not worth owning too. And there's a few good ones in there too. See, I don't I don't have any of those. I, I don't know if I have I've a ever couple heard of them. those. And is that Larry and Randy together doing stuff, or they got different? Some is it'll be some of that, or I think one of them is like a People reunion. That's another thing we didn't mention. He was in a pop group called People. Solo, and they had a top three, top forty hit with a cover of "I Love You" by the Zombies. I shouldn't 
their version performed better on the charts than the zombies. Yeah, it's a cool, it's a cool version. It is. It it sounds good. There's even a there's like a music video for that one. Um, it's real low budget. Yeah, no, I've seen part of that. Yeah, but you, Larry's like rocking his like albino long <laughs> full hair with like these short cropped bangs and uh, real mean look in his face yeah I remember anguish getting, he, I got that LP and I was very disappointed by it other than that one song but it wasn't there there's was a song on it called uh, what we need is a whole lot more Jesus and a lot less rock and roll yeah <laughs> yep that was originally going to be the title of their album, yeah. but the record label nixed it. Yeah. And then Linda Ronstadt wound up covering that song shortly after. That. Oh, really? Yeah. The love of God in our soul. We need a whole lot more Jesus and a lot less rock. I don't know if I don't think they wrote it. Oh, okay. I think that it makes was, sense. But yeah. maybe even Linda second. did it first. I'm not sure. It was yeah. like one of her early ones. But. Um. Oh. Uh. Do we know of anyone that he was an enormous influence on, other than Frank Black, Black Francis? Yeah, totally. Um, uh, I know we were. Th- I remember reading that in his uh, Christian phase, Bob Dylan was very taken with the with the albums of, of in the trilogy. Yes, and then he listened to those a lot, which is pretty cool because there's some Dylan on those, like definitely. Oh yeah, right. Yeah, records. it's like passing it back, passing the influence back. Yeah, he he did like the sort of like long long-winded verses yeah uh-huh. um with like a bunch of like clever turns of phrase if you blink you miss it right but I, d- I just have never heard of too many more prominent artists who were larry norman fans other than black francis who said that he was the like the whole reason why he started writing songs and you know. yeah yeah um he did uh yeah their first albums that based on a Larry Norman quote. Right. Yeah. Come on, Pilgrim. Right. Come on, Pilgrim. You know he loves you. Right. Come on, Pilgrim. You know he loves you. He loves your balls and he loves your salad and don't make your life bad. Um, but hey, you've never heard of anyone else? Other than I? I don't think I have. Uh, well, definitely Danielson family. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Um, so, I a mutual friend of mine, uh, who's he's actually in like some of these Danielson uh, albums and stuff. Uh, John Ringhofer, he's he's another like he's a current uh, Christian music guy that's like kind of in the more weirdo fringe world of that. Mm-hmm. Not like not at the Bible store sort of artist. Um, Gotta get it in the brown paper bag. From but yeah, he said that Dan Smith of this band, Danielson, uh, was contacting Larry, um, or trying to reach him for a while because he had like you know a recording studio and everything. Um, and Larry like 
just send him some like funny emails in all caps. He's like, oh, I appreciate it, but you know. He, but it would have been would have been amazing. This is the Danielson family. Yeah, this is late 90s. Kind of cool. I saw that ba- I saw that band live one time, or maybe I even played with them. I don't think so. I think it was like a festival we were playing at with them or something. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. They they baffled me, as I recall. I just didn't. I didn't. I just thought it was what a strange band. I didn't. I didn't get it. I had heard a couple songs um, before I saw them, and I was like, I don't think I like this. It's really <laughs> strange. And they were playing at a festival. And I went, and I'm like, I, I just gotta, I gotta check it out. Yeah. And they came out all like, uh, yeah, in like their homemade yeah, like, like nurse yeah. uniforms. Right. And uh, played this moves, strange, almost creepy music that was like really lively. Yeah. Singing in a falsetto all the right. time, and um, strange time signatures, and it's kind of like, kind of like the Pixies, like like a twee version of the pixies or something but they um they're so they name dropped larry and his first people they were influenced oh yeah by. absolutely are and not just because christian? they're a christian band too yeah they're a christian band there i was trying to find a song that really reminds me of it but i can't remember the name of it maybe it's like called between scout signs and he gets kind of like preachy um it's about how the middle finger is taboo and they're like well it's just a finger you guys calm yeah, down i like that it's like them and eminem the people who encourage you to throw your middle finger up yeah absolutely <laughs> yeah. um larry encouraged you to put up your index finger right one way yeah one way to heaven was that was the the what the crowd did the, yeah it. instead of like applauding he hated applause right oh i didn't know that <laughs> he he was Sounds just reasonable. it really annoyed him when people would like clap and cheer and so um he started signaling he's like he's like all right guys that's enough that's enough and then he just started going like this whenever people would applaud he would i i just lifted my finger way up high my index finger and uh, that's what all the crowds started doing. Instead of applauding, they would hold up the one-way sign and point toward heaven. Yeah. And um, it became a logo that was like pop culture. Like yeah. you could buy T-shirts and bumper um, stickers, yeah. postcards. You could you foam fingers even that said one way on them. Um, and Larry trademarked it. And a lot of people got mad about that because they're like, "What? Now you're acting like the man? You're, yeah. You know, this is like a people's it's thing." Shrewd businessman, obviously. Yeah. And one one way also is a is a gorgeous song. That's another one of his real really good ones. Ah, that's nice. 
Directions are right here. time it's too good Ooh, nice I've never heard his voice soaked in so much of that short tail sort of gated reverb like the reverb without the you know that just clips off at the end or delay or whatever it is yeah but that works in that song. That sounds good. Yeah, that was that's after awful. the trilogy, but before the uh, plane. That song, the, tri- the last album of the trilogy. All right. But I think that song had been around for a long time before because it's also on. He had. Uh, it's interesting how he's had so many uh, of his own labels, kind of. Because before he was. Before the trilogy, he had a couple. Uh, sort of independently pressed records that he did himself, I think. And one's called Street Level and one's called Bootleg. And Bootleg has an early, really stripped down version of One Way. So that must have been, you know, he must have had that song around for years before it ended up on In Another Land. Um, has there, is, do you think that there's, uh, you know, there's obviously people our age or whatever that weren't around during this time that sort of discovered Larry's music later. Do you think that that's a in a vacuum kind of, or are there other younger people discovering him? I don't know of anything that's come out or anything since that double record anthology, and that was like at least that was 10, like years 10 years ago. ago yeah. Right? Yeah. So. I don't know. I'm hoping that maybe this can be a part of that. Yeah, I mean, his <laughs> records were never reissued or anything. Nobody's been talking about him. I've never even seen one on CD before. There wasn't even... You couldn't even buy, like, a, a book about Larry Norman until recently. Yeah. I mean, except for, like, things that came out when he was popular. Right. That were sort of, like, almost, like, just thick tabloid magazines. Oh, I I didn't... I wasn't even familiar with those. I mean, not like tabloid, but you know, like uh, how you could buy like a little book that's like all about the Partridge family. Right. It, I didn't know, you know they had those on him. Yeah, he was he was pop culture. So in the like in Christian rock, is there kind of like a like a canon, like like the, the 
kids listen to Christian rock, would listen to the new stuff, and then their parents would be like, yeah, yeah, but here, like, this is the real, the real stuff, like. Oh, totally. Yeah, Daniel Amos was, like, they kind of went on to be kind of a groundbreaking, um, like, they, they went more, like, new wave for a while. Um, let's see. They, they had this album called Vox Humana. Um, and you kind of got to hear a little of this. This is after they're no longer involved with Larry. Remember, they started out like the Flying Burrito Brothers or something. Date a girl made like, out of wires. They discovered Thomas Dolby or something. <laughs> Heard a Buggles record. Yeah, or the yeah, Buggles. They, they turned on the radio. <laughs> right. And yeah. they like stepped it up. You got to stay relevant. So a lot of bands would do that. Like um, a lot of bands that started out kind of more like hard rock would like, you know, like, oh, we got to do like a like an acoustic like ballady album now because that was like the, like when MTV unplugged or whatever right like old school guys like uh, Petra was a big one they um do you guys know Petra have you ever no okay I'm gonna play you their quint this is like um an essential big hit of Christian rock in the early days like in the 70s um and it was later even covered by one of the worst bands of all time, um, Kiss, oh. <laughs> and included Barkley. And included. I thought, I thought you were gonna say Modest Mouse. <laughs> <laughs> it was included in the soundtrack of uh, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. Yeah, the Kiss version. I'm a Kiss fan, actually, <laughs> and le- legitimately. I know. That was just but I but I understand yeah I understand the backlash though Oh god It looks I don't you guys can't see this uh, with your headphones but it almost looks like a black fl- or uh, not a black flag like a black sabbath album or something on the cover Yeah it's got like a fantasy element there's a castle uh, uh I don't know how long it's going to take to get to the good part, but, um, oh, this is a long one. So this is their, their power ballad? They're more rocking normally? Yeah, they're, they're building up to it. I think these guys are still around on their, like, third lead singer. But, um, yeah, in the 90s, they became decidedly, like, the Christian version of Aerosmith. Huh, interesting. Um, their drummer always wears, like, a mid-riff white Mickey Mouse tank top. 
you know, U2's a Christian rock band, too. Yeah, U2 started out as a, a Christian punk band, so to yeah. speak. Um, but they keep it on the... They keep it a little on the down low because of, uh, you know, capitalism, I guess. <laughs> yeah. They make more money if they don't, you know, push that. Yeah, they don't so much have an agenda. This is just, just beautiful, right? You can hear Kiss doing it, though, Well, right? this is an Argent song initially, which is... Rod Argent from the Zombies, and he definitely had songs, you know, some great songs in his life. But it's like the first Christian power ballad, I think. Yeah, I can see that. got options now the music's gone where are you gonna be <laughs> i'm just gonna stay right here well, uh, did, did uh did you think that there was is there anything that we haven't covered as far as lair bear goes well um i i think maybe we should talk about his latter days not sure to, like, yeah. get i don't gloomy. know i don't know much but yeah yeah I mean, yeah, kind of circling the drain, so to speak. He, uh, so what happens is he had a pretty massive heart attack. Um, he went to the doctor three times before they figured out that that was what it was. You know, the first time he went in, they're like, oh, you know, take an aspirin. And then uh, eventually he, like, they were like, oh, wow, that was a pretty big heart attack you had there, <laughs> buddy. Be careful. And uh, so he started performing a lot less. And um, in his, like, last years, he uh, performed just a few shows. Um, Randy Stonehill uh, made good with him for, you know, like, uh, just for old time's sake. And uh, the very last show he played, interestingly, uh, Charles Thompson, the Frank Black Black Francis, Pixie's guy, um, had been visiting him in the hospital. Yeah, I saw a film of that. And, uh, yeah, they, he was always a big admirer, and uh, he played uh, with Larry at his last show in a Calvary Chapel church. Interesting. Probably the only time that the front man of the Pixies is, uh, you know, playing at a church. Yeah. Um he, they uh, switched off vocals on the song Watch What You're Doing. Uh-huh. Is there a recording of that? Everything's fine, no things get bad Till you sit around talking about the good times, yeah But ain't no good a little life of sin If you don't shape up, you know you never get it You gotta watch what you're doing Amen A 
Another thing that I was thinking, since this is a po- you know a podcast that I'm assuming is not going to, is it going to contain visual images at all? I might like put some links to some images. Because you like, really maybe the YouTube version. I'll throw yeah. up some stills. Because if for people that are unfamiliar with him and his music, and particularly his image, it would give a lot of context to this to check out what he looked like. Yeah, actually, he's this long, blonde-haired, leather-jacketed, sort of rock-looking guy, in a way. Right. Okay. So we t- talked a little bit about it, like with the people video, but um, yeah, he presented himself as like very. He was like very confident. Uh, like loud dresser um, looks like he could have been like a member of the suite or something right always like really long straight very very bright blonde hair yeah always bangs yeah and always like a leather had... jacket and maybe some like mod sort of pinstripe pants and stuff mm-hmm. and um, on his album covers he always looks like Mr. Tough Guy mm-hmm. um on two of his album covers, he was photographed in the nude, which was quite controversial for the, you know, the people who were already like, uh, you know, how Larry Norman's Not going too far. What's the other one other than So Long Ago the Garden? What's the other the one? The first one. Or, uh, oh, oh, Upon yeah, This Rock. Right. Oh, yeah, I guess you're right, yeah. Yeah, I guess according to the negatives, he was nude for both of those shoots. Um, for so long ago in the gardens, uh, he's standing um, with looking like uh, he's either prey or predator. I don't know, but um, he's completely nude. It stops just at his nether regions. Um, you can make out some pubic hair down there. Yeah, it goes pretty. <laughs> um, it goes pretty deep. But it's also a, a lion superimposed over his body. Yeah. So he's like camo. It's it's it looks almost like, you know, somebody painted a lion on his nude body. Um, he wanted originally for his wife to also pose nude so they could look like Adam and Eve. Um, Who and that she might have yeah. She, I don't know why she didn't do it because she posed nude for Playboy. And see, I didn't know all of it. You read the book. I didn't. <laughs> I didn't know I, I guess, we just kind of like jumped past that. Yeah, he, his um, it was his second wife was kind of a party animal and was um, like she would go on tour with him and do like fashion shoots all the time while he was on tour. Like they would bring a photographer. Um, that was like his excuse for like keeping her around or like, you know, talking her into doing it. To traveling with him she could go to all these exotic places around the world because he went all over like europe multiple times yeah. uh-huh. scandinavia estonia the the ussr i yeah i wasn't aware that he played in all of i mean i knew that he toured a lot and stuff but i didn't know that. yeah usually with pickup bands oh like, really he would just like fly somewhere and have musicians like who had already been rehearsing his stuff to come back him up Seems like that'd be kind of tough. Some of his songs are a little bit, are kind of intricate for a pickup band. Mm-hmm. Well, he'd also do a lot of acoustic solo yeah. shows, mm-hmm. um, which is mostly what he was known for. But he did do some pickup band stuff um, back in those earlier days. Um, and yeah, I guess his his wife uh, 
Pamela, she uh, one time when he was on tour and she wasn't, she went ahead and just like did a Playboy shoot and he like found out about it just like after it was already did out. Did he hit, hit the roof about that? Uh, I, I think that was sort of the beginning of the end. I would almost think that would have been the end of the end. No, I mean, they, they, they stuck it out for quite a while oh. after that. Um, and that was his so. second wife? Yeah. So was he divorced? Yeah, he was divorced. And then his third wife was Randy Stonehill's first wife. Oh, right. <laughs> I thought it was like, oh, I forgot about that. George I thought, Harrison. I thought it was his sister or something. It was, no, it was his, his wife. wife. Oh, okay. It was his first wife. and But it's not like Larry didn't steal her from him. Um, he actually left her for someone else. Randy. Left, oh, okay. Left Sarah Stonehill for for someone else. Oh, okay. And then um, Pamela, or no, Sarah Stonehill, she remained friends with Larry, and then they wound up getting married shortly after the thing with Pamela dissolved. So if and that was his last wife, I believe so. I might be I might be missing something there, but I think I'm pretty sure that's the wife that he had for the rest of his life. Is is there any blowback in the the Christian rock fan community for divorcing? It happens or? like like um, you you guys heard of Amy Grant, yeah, and in like. Up until the 90s, she was married to Gary Chapman, who is a solo artist in his own right. Um, and she left him for, uh, what's his name? Vince Gill. Vince Gill, that's right. Vince Gill of the, uh, wasn't he in the Pure Prairie League? Yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah, and he's a country singer. See, some of that's, you know, it's you're obviously sort of like, it's just gonna happen it happens and like people probably do like gossip about it a little bit and be like oh did you hear about amy grant you hear about like i mean people were always dogging on larry yeah well and then it just you know i know that everyone's everyone's uh you know set of beliefs is different but that to me just kind of uh sort of corroborates everything that I believe about um, that culture where it's like he's going to write this beautiful song called Pardon Me about how you should be absent and never have sex till you're married and then he gets married five times or right. whatever or four or five times <laughs> it's like, I don't understand you know I don't understand the righteousness of that I, I'm i not saying there is any righteousness yeah. <laughs> in that yeah. I, I, I think you gotta look pretty hard um, I think I think we covered a lot of ground here, and I kind of want to just play something, uh, play something fun. Yeah, um, I would love to hear "Pardon Me" too at some point. Let's see. But you, you know, it's your podcast. <laughs> I think we're we're just gonna play a couple songs. Mark's got the Incubus track all queued up. Yeah, I got. He has a song about an Incubus, actually. No, he doesn't. <laughs> I, I'm totally. They're a Christian. I'm totally fucking too, with you. Know. Okay. Uh, here, here we go with Pardon Me. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, I forgot about these arrangements. Pardon me. 
chills from that one yeah a little taboo for your standard christian uplifting radio hits inspirational they they call it uh in a lot of the charts yeah that's the genre yeah. 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 i want the people to know that it saved my soul but i still like to listen to the radio they say rock and roll is wrong i'll give you one more chance i say it feels so good i gotta get up and dance i know what's right i know what's wrong i don't confuse it all i'm really trying to say is why should the devil have all the good music my hair, they're driving me insane, I threw it out long to make room for my brain, but sometimes people don't understand what's a good boy doing in a rock and roll band. There's nothing wrong with playing blues lips, if you got a reason, tell me to my face, why should the devil have all the good music, there's nothing I feel good every day and then you look at his song titles where it's like right I feel awful and want to die uh-huh. <laughs> like lonely by myself <laughs> right it's just it's like he's trying to convince himself well he's didn't uh, Matt Groening did an illustration for that song for this song uh, I, I think Matt Groening I don't really? know what it was for but Matt Groening did an illustration of, of Larry Norman singing this song or something. I've seen it before. I don't know what it was for, though. Ah, well, maybe uh, maybe that'll be in the yeah the, the page for right. this episode. Yeah. <laughs> Should I choose to make one? <laughs> all right, well, what? why do you think the devil should have all the good music? Anybody? Why the devil sh- should or shouldn't? Yeah, what's, you think there's an argument for it? Well, I don't believe in the devil. Okay. <laughs> so I'm like the, <laughs> probably the wrong person. I love, I love another one of his songs we didn't, I don't, yeah, we didn't listen to today, 666. 
about the devil. That's a great oh, song. Oh, yeah. Um, and I love that song, but I don't believe what he's saying, really. <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty good one. I think um, maybe to tie it all together and get us out of here is play the Frank Black and the Catholics. Oh, right. I'd have never heard this before. Uh, this album was recorded live to two track, and uh, I think it's the first time that Frank Black actually recorded anything by Larry. And it goes a little something like this. It's so is it quite different from the original. Whoa. thing Larry Norman did not like was that devil. <laughs> yeah. Um, I would uh, say, I mean, that's cool to hear Frank Black doing that, but I would definitely suggest checking out the original, you know, of that song. I, I had never heard that. Yeah, the original before. version is a lot prettier yeah. and eerie. It was right. actually, um, oh wait, no, that was I Wish We'd All Been Ready was used on that show, The Leftovers. Oh, really? Yeah. To very um, emotional effect. I could see that. Yeah. Yeah. I never realized the number was six sixty six. I was just six 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 in my in my mind. Learned yeah. Some, learned you probably new. just needed an extra syllable there or something. Probably does sound a little better. Yeah, it's um, not as fun to sing, probably. Yeah. Oh, also, I was I was playing uh, some of these songs actually earlier today to with a friend of mine, and she said that that some of I think it was I wish we'd all been ready that it sounded like it could be on the soundtrack of like an indie film and I agree I thought that, that I think that's true and so that's another thing when I was talking about like if maybe someday there'll be a resurgence with younger generations if they could or if they're you know his songs will be suitable in 
in film. Yeah, if you're making like a movie, you should definitely look into his catalog. There's there's some real gems in there. And um, maybe maybe give the any royalties to that kid in Australia. Yes. <laughs> anyway, we love you, Larry. Uh, this has been Low Profile. Thanks for listening. Leave us a review. Uh, thanks, Jeremy. Thanks for having me, Mark. Thanks, Markley. Thanks, Peter. Thanks, Miles, for engineering. Yeah. Setting us up. Uh, we're, we're recording this in Miles's living space that he's very graciously allowed us to sit around in. Electric uh, Miles Land Studio. What did Jeremy just call your house? He called it Electric Miles Land Studio, which that's great. It doesn't technically have a name besides Studio B out here in the living room. And I kind of like it. My bedroom is technically Studio A, but I don't do much recording in there anymore, but I used to back when that was like my whole living space. Anyway. Yeah. Man. yeah this place is great. We're just right downtown in Olympia. Oh, yeah. You can on still... On the main drag. Yeah, you can hear some of the road traffic. And, and uh, yeah, it's it's been really nice to be able to work over here, so thanks, Miles. Yeah, of course. I love having the podcast over here. Um, it was really fun talking about Larry Norman. Yeah, it sure was. That's what I thought. Um, having the sort of odd man out thing. Mm-hmm. I think that's, that's going well. Yeah. Uh, next time, we don't have that. Because um, me and two of my best friends of all time, from when I was a kid, they came uh, from out of town, and we all talked about Margot Gurion. And uh, Margot Gurion, man, I'm going to play you like a minute and 40 seconds. I'd love to hear it. This song was actually uh, based on box Jesu. Joy of Man's Desiring. What? I didn't know that. Yeah, she just really liked that piece and wanted to make a pop song out of it. So, speaking of pop, I think I just popped the mic. Uh, anyway, this is called Can You Tell from her only officially released album. No, um, that's called Can You Tell. I'm, I'm talking about Someone I Know. That's the name of the song. Oh, okay. It's the next song on the album. There we go. I was thinking of leaving. There was no one around here I wanted to know.
those horns. Oh, they're so good. So nice. I think I hear French horn in there. That melody, I, I always wanted to work that into a song when I was a teenager. So starting to work on music. So good. Yeah. I really like this Margot Gurion person. And um, she's wonderful. Yeah. I reached out to her and uh, got a hold of her. But she didn't uh, want to do an interview. She doesn't do that no more. But she emailed me back. Um, oh, that's nice. And then the craziest thing happened where I was trying to get a hold of someone who had worked with her mm -hmm. at one point. And uh, I, I called his publisher, the, the fella. So I was looking for David Frischberg on my friend Mike's recommendation. And uh, called what Frischberg's he, publisher. What did he? What? Why were you trying to get a hold of him? Mike just told me there's some kind of weird connection here with David Frischberg and Margot Gurion, and on and on. And, and he's he like, just kept on talking Frischberg. So I, I called Frischberg's publisher, um, left a voicemail, and he texted me back right away. He's like, "What are you doing on Margot? That's my stepmom." What? And so um, me and my friend Mike and my friend Andrew, we all interview John Rosner, um, who's Margot Gurion's stepson, um, after we discuss Margot at length and all learn new things from uh, each of our different angles. So it's going to be a fun one. Yeah. I hope you tune in. That's going to be three weeks from today. Which the is 7th? Yeah, I think it might be the seventh of April. Oh, to no, oh, I know no, no, the, no, no. the release. No, it's going to be the twenty eighth of March. Okay, twenty eighth of March. That's when the Margot Gurion episode comes out. That'll be great. I had to look at the calendar. This is one of those years you could look at February's calendar and uh, get it mixed up with March because all the days land on the same uh, day of the week. Whoa! I didn't know that. That's wild. Yep, Monday's on Monday, Tuesday's on Tuesday. On and on. <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah. Well, um Well that's that's a wild story. I'm excited to hear um from Margot's stepson. Miles, you were you're sitting right there. I know. The I know. But you know, I only heard it really the once and then mixing it a little bit. I haven't really listened back to it, so I am excited. To like, you know, I've been listening to all the podcasts like as they come out, you know, enjoying them as a. Yeah. So it's all coming back, like you know that Larry Norman had a Australian son. I forgot about that until just now, you know. Allegedly, likely, who knows? Yeah, who knows? Could be just totally made up. Yeah, it could you be. You never know. But um. Anyway, I guess. We never will know, will we? No, I don't think so. But we'll get to the bottom of Margot a little bit, at least. Yeah. We, I, I found out... Um, we, we found out a lot of stuff, actually. So uh, I, don't, I don't really want to give it away. We'll see you next time on Low Profile with Mark Lee Morrison. And as always, Miles Rosati. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks he'll for be doing here, it. too. All right. Yeah, I'm excited. Yep. See uh, you, everybody. Happy spring, everybody. Thanks. Bye.